Hey, welcome to the Jesus, Sex, and Politics podcast. I'm Micah. And I'm Nathan. And here we talk about all those things that culture doesn't want to talk about. That will scare you. In 2023. We're here. Wow. Happy New Year, everyone. We, uh, we've we kind of taken a few weeks off with Christmas. And not, it's not that we don't care. It's just that in the church world, Christmas is sort of the Super Bowl it's busy. season. And yeah. so we uh, we were we were in over our heads, but it was awesome. We we loved it and saw God move powerfully and to wrap up 2022. And That's right. Did you feel like you got rest and relaxation over Christmas, or do you need to recover from the vacation? Sometimes I do feel like I need to recover from the vacation, but I, I would say this one, like there were a few days there where we just kind of got to, you know, do nothing, which was great. Uh, it wasn't quite as busy as it has been in the past with family. And I think that's because we had winter apocalypse and which was which was beautiful. I mean, it did kind of mess up a little bit of Christmas Eve planning, but we we still went off with our services just fine, and people were safe. But but it also the beauty in it, it also kind of uh, tamped down a little bit on all the Christmas driving from family to family, and everyone was kind of well, we'll push it back, we'll wait, we'll do it next year. Yeah, and it was, and then in those moments, you get to just sit back and relax. Yeah, we had family in town. And so, you know, it was her family and it was my family. And, and I think it started somewhere around like the 20th or the 21st. And then Christmas, and then like, like, of, like of December, of December, the 20th, and then kept going. Right. <laughs> so, so, so it's like a half a month of uh, Christmas. Yeah. So uh, I love my family. I love her family. Uh, but there is something about when everybody goes home and you finally feel like, oh, it's just us again. To, to sit down. So I kind of am, am in the uh, I need a vacation after the vacation sort of area of my life right now. Nice. Well, you know, and I would say that you don't have time to do that, though. So uh, you're in trouble because... Yeah, there uh, is no vacation. <laughs> it's like... It's we're talking about running. It is. It's like coming back, you know, January... Five-hour staff meetings. <laughs> January 2nd. I think that was... Did we come back? Wasn't that Monday? Was there... Yeah, January 2nd was Monday. I was at the church getting things ready, you know, cl- taking down Christmas decorations, resetting the stage. And then Tuesday, the 3rd, we had a... Um, meeting apocalypse, a marathon. Uh, no, it was it was like it was it was just as bad, if not worse, than the winter apocalypse. But uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, so we're back at it, and uh, and I I think 2023 is going to be a really interesting, but also exciting year for a lot of things, both in ministry, but also in uh, America's history. I think we are seeing some really, I think, fun things happening in politics and in Washington. And one of those things being is the Vodathon apocalypse. <laughs> it's like, so you have winter apocalypse, we have meeting apocalypse, and now we have Vodathon apocalypse <laughs> with the McCarthy pick. So if you haven't been paying attention and you're kind of out of the loop on this, every Congress, uh, new Congress, they have to come in and they have to pick a speaker of the house. That's every two years. And technically they can't even swear in members of Congress until there is a speaker in place. So that's why if you see these interviews happening, it's all these Congress people are called congressmen elect. There is no congressman, right? There is no member of the house right now. They're all elected and they haven't been able to be sworn in yet. So theoretically, there's really no house of representatives <laughs> right now. We are on, as we speak, we're watching it. We are on vote 13, ballot 13. 
And in ballot 12, we had a few of those Republican rebels who had uh, flipped over. So I think... Uh, they moved 14 14. So, so that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Now, here's, here's the question, Nathan. Do you think this is good or bad for our country? What's your thoughts on this? Well, I, I don't know. I, I tend to see every vote matters. And a lot of these people don't want McCarthy because they think that he's just burned so many bridges with them beforehand. They're like, I'll die before I, I vote for yeah. this guy. And at a certain point, uh, politics has to be, to some degree, compromise. But they're fighting for whether or not they, they trust him. Yeah, And that's what I hear them say. We don't trust this guy. I, the one good thing I think I see is that at least there's a battle in the Republican Party for the heart of the party. And I think that's good versus we capitulate to whatever we're told. Here's our talking points. Let us go, you know, go deliver on that. I think a, a fight sometimes is is really healthy for us. You know, we'll see. This guy's got to try and govern the House after, you know, if he gets those additional votes. He's got he's to govern after that. This guy's got to play ball with some people. Well, and I think there was a great uh, tweet that I posted to my social media yesterday, and it's from a guy I really, really uh, look up to. Uh, his name is Nick Friedis, and he's uh, out in um, uh, Virginia. He's a Virginia House of Delegates. And he posted a thing, and I'll see if I can find it here. Um, he said uh, something to the effects. I can't I have to get on my social media. He said something to the effects of... Um, the reason that this is happening, you can blame the 20 because there was 20 rebels. You can blame them all day long. But the reason this is happening is because we've been told as conservatives to go along, we'll give you what you ask for, and then we go along, and then we only get stabbed in the back. And mm -hmm. and even our leadership in the Republican Party turns their back on the conservative base. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think this is super healthy. Now, I don't necessarily think McCarthy is going to be um, a Jim Jordan. I don't think he's nearly as... I would love to see Jim Jordan as Speaker of the House. I just think that would be phenomenal. Uh, but I don't think McCarthy's the worst thing in the world. I think he's going to be much better than a Paul Ryan. Again, not a high bar. Okay, Paul Ryan or John Boehner, they they really didn't do anything to get... I just it. threw up a little bit. In the yeah, right. So, so, but but I, I do think, to your point, he's recognizing that, wow, the conservative base, you know, take him seriously and, and really work with them because they are a large part of the Republican Party now, whether he likes it or not, that's the case. We see this in Indiana politics down at the convention this past year. The conservatives really uh, rose up and ended up winning uh, a lot of the the convention um, uh, votes that that we had, and and it was it was really cool to see that yep. ticks off the establishment party, the anti-Trump, the you know whatever you want to call them, the elites. They it, they don't like it, mm -hmm. but at the same time. Good. I'm glad they don't like it because this is more about the people's voice rather than the the elite um, and their you know the politically the the career the career politician if you will. So I I think that's great. Now the other thing that I love about this process that I absolutely love it. This is the only time in my life I can ever remember all of the members of Congress sitting in their seats in the chamber going back and forth passionately for uh, multiple days on issue on an issue that really matters to the American people, right? If you ever watch C-SPAN and you watch a member getting up in the chamber speaking, there's nobody, there's even nobody the there. Floor. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like one guy sitting behind yeah. him. And you're yeah, like, who's exactly. this guy talking to, right? Yeah. 
and and our our framers never wanted that to be the case. Up until I think it was the I want to say the early 1900s, late 1800s, the members would actually sit their desks, their where they worked was actually in the chamber. So they were always in the chamber. They were always there. They always ended up uh, they they always ended up debating issues and topics. Someone would get up and speak. Someone else would boo them and and get up and you know rebu- have a rebuttal. That is so healthy. That is exactly the way it should be. It it should kind of look like the House of Commons in. In, Where uh, you actually have to hold the floor, and there's none of this. That's right. The gentle, the gentleman from Virginia, <laughs> please yield to the gentleman from New Hampshire. You know, uh, they used to say that Churchill uh, was so amazing uh, in in their parliamentary um, model in in England because he could hold the floor, and he made fun of people, and he <laughs> and he got people laughing. So much. That's how you held the floor in Britain. I there. There's just part of me that says that would be fun to watch. Well, in the House of Representatives, the House of Representatives is an American version of the House of Commons. That's that's really what it is. That's what it was. It was the common man. But they're way nicer. They are way nicer. I mean, but I think the framers really did envision that robust. Yeah. You know, debate the. A little bit of vitriol, like you know, it's it's okay to pound the tables. It's okay to you know you know prod each other, and we should. I think that's a you know we don't, we, especially in the American church, we 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 I think we lose a, a lot when we we always come in saying, well, we always have to be civil, we always have to be super super nice, and and I'm not saying not to be kind, but I think we always have to be above and beyond nice in our minds, and I think there's a time and a place to say, I mean, Jesus flipped the tables, he got a whip. He whipped people. He he made a scene. I mean, there's a time and a place to actually make a scene for what is right, and and I think that's healthy. And I so I love that. But I'm, do you do you remember when Obama was speaking years ago? He's doing the State of the Union address, and he said something. And oh, somebody yeah. calls you're a liar, liar. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's like, "Ooh, boo, boo!" Yeah. They couldn't believe that he would say that. But I'm pretty sure there was a time that. That another guy, I can't remember who it was that was speaking, and uh, it was another State of the Union, and one of the Supreme Court justices, I think it was Alito, and he goes, that's not true. Yeah. And he spoke yeah, yeah. out. Yeah. And I, I, there's part of me that goes, good. That's okay. You're, yeah, and, and I think people, when that happened, I forget the, the representative's name that called Obama a liar, but I think I think people were so offended by that because they were saying that that lacks so much respect for the office. No, it don't doesn't. lie. Yeah, no, it doesn't. If, if you think somebody is not telling the truth, you should call them out on it. That's that's not lacking respect for the. I would say that's actually having respect for the office enough to call the person who's holding the office out if they're lying. You're saying no, the office demands integrity. You're not living up to that. I'm going to call you on it because I respect the office. Yeah. So. I just disagreement is is healthy. Uh, I I think you know you try to do it honorably, um, but I, I I think that we need to be able to call spade a spade when stuff is getting as bad as it is. I, I mean, the decisions that we're making are costing people lives in this country. Our our, our what's going on on the southern border is unbelievably wicked what's going on with fentanyl you know that kills twice as many people in 2020 as the entire vietnam war 
killed Americans. Wow. 100,000 people died from fentanyl. Wow. And this is, you know, this is like people's lives here. How many, how many American families, their kids smoked some pot laced with fentanyl and lost their kid? Like, you know, do something about this. Yeah. And all you, you had, it, it was almost completely won. And you snatched, you know, you, you snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, Biden, down on the, you know, down on the, on the border. But that's where policy is affecting people's lives. And, and it affects our, our small businesses. I, I just looked at my, at, at my 401k. Do you know how much this decision to put Biden into office has cost my 401k? I'm like, holy cow. Yeah. It's it's hemorrhaging. It's it's so sad. And I, I just wonder how many people are are looking for that. How about how about our young people? Where our young people are trying to get loans. And look at the interest rates right now because Biden goes out and prints all kinds of money and dries up major inflation. I mean, I don't know what your interest rate is on my house or on, on your house. Mine's good on my house, but I think about my children Yeah, and I go, how are they going to afford that? I just was talking to a young lady. She was uh, uh, the other day and she said she was looking at buying a car and there was um, uh, 15% interest on her car that she wanted to get. And I'm thinking to myself, that's like almost as much as a, as a, credit card i mean this was a young lady this was a young lady yeah young lady you need to take (laughs) financial peace university you need dave ramsey to tell you why you should not make that purchase praise the lord she had a dad in her life thank god thank you dad that wouldn't let her do that but it was great for fathers it was uh one of those things to where i was uh i I was just like 15 percent on a car payment you know a 20 to thirty thousand dollar vehicle you are going to spend so much money over the course of that loan and and but to your point this is happening because we have voted in really bad policy makers bad bad policy bad, and, bad policy makers and, send me a mean tweet i would gladly have that yeah. and have some level of of normality and like the big boys were in charge yeah because this is a mess i think sometimes though i look at america and there's this part of uh, of me that I hope this doesn't happen, but only until we hit rock bottom, do I think we're going to wake up? I, I just, I mean, Americans are so spoiled. I just got back from a trip in Israel. Amazing trip. One of the things I recognize that Israel has that America doesn't is that Israel is very grateful. Uh, the people there are very, the Israelis are very, very grateful for their, um, just everything they have, whether they have a lot or whether they have a little, they just, their mere existence, they, they feel a blessed, uh, life. They feel like they're, they're part of a blessing and they live their lives and they're happy and they're joy filled. And they, they understand that they could, today could be their last day. Iran could drop a nuclear bomb on them at any point if they get one and it could end their existence, but yet they go around with just this joy in their hearts and they realize what they have. Whereas in America, we have safety, we have prosperity, we have literally everything we could ever want. Even the even the poverty level in, in, in American standards is still middle class for the world standards. And and all that to say, we 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 make up problems and we become so depressed over these made up problems. I mean, oh my gosh, somebody called me the wrong pronoun. I'm going to go into the depression and you know how dare they call me that? I'm not that. And yeah, because you're know, actually fighting a yeah, real battle. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I've been to Israel as well. They've got these kettles, giant giant kettles that are around uh, different places within the city. That if they need to put a bomb in one of those things, it will explode that and not destroy part of the city. 
and you don't even think about that. We, you know, th- that doesn't dawn on us to live like that. When you see twenty-year-old teenage girls, or you know, they're they're young twenty, and they got a and they and they've got a machine gun strapped across their dress, mm. and you're like, that girl is a soldier. She she knows how to fight for her country. Men serve, women serve, mandatory service for two years, but they love their country. And they're taken to places like Masada and said, what happened here will never happen again on our watch. Like we've had, you know, how many years of prosperity and we've forgotten what it's like to, to have to really fight some battles. And we, we haven't hit rock bottom. We think that we're protected until, until your family member dies of fentanyl. Yeah. And then you're like, Holy cow, how could this happen? And all the policies lend to where we're just letting people in and we, we, we don't want to even follow the law because we want to buy votes later. So what, what do you predict you know, God is doing in 2023, Nathan? So it's this, this is the start of the year. You know, kind of give some direction on how to be praying if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, this is great. We know the problems. Um, yeah, we can feel the effects. Uh, you know, it's fun to watch the house, you know, actually debate a robust issue. But all that aside, what do we do about it? Where's God moving? How do we pray? What would you say to somebody who asked you that about 2023? Well, I think I think a, a strong nation first comes back to a strong family. And before you have a strong family, I think you have to have a strong marriage. And there's so much of, you know, the things that you can do personally. When you look around at life and you see life is out of control, and, you know, I'll sit down with somebody and and they're upset because they're married to somebody and the person they're married to is not really, you know, maybe they're doing some things that are destructive in the, in the relationship. You, you know, what I do is I kind of look at him and go, well, you can't control them. What do you have the power to control? You really have the power to control you. You have the power today to learn to pray personally. That may turn out to your wife or your husband becoming a person of prayer, but prayer makes you that. It gives you that grateful heart that you were kind of talking about, right? To be able to look at the turmoil and go, I, I realize just how good God is. You have the power to give. We could hoard to ourselves. We could, we, you know, act like, you know, we're, we're going to just take care of number one. But you could exercise giving and generosity, which does something. It takes fear away because you see God begin to provide for you, and he's coming through for you all the time. So if, if it's me and I don't like the world I'm living in, I want to I get close to God. You know, we have 21 days of prayer coming up here uh, on Monday. I want our people to connect with God because that's that's really what you need to get through this year. Um, you know, I, do do I think we ought to stay involved in all the political stuff going on? Yes. Do I think we ought to, you know, be 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 watching for who our best leaders can be? Yes. But that's not where my hope is and what these people can do. I want to take control back where I have the power. What about my finances? Um, you know, we're going to go through the blessed life as a church. We're going to be going through beyond blessed um, that ties in some of those Dave Ramsey principles. You know, you have some power. Take what you have and begin to use it. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know I can set my family up better by making smart decisions on my own 
I know that paying 15% interest on a car is going to be disastrous for my life. What's the better decision there? I can begin to put myself around other friends who see the urgency about what's going on. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. So what kind of people am I hanging out with? What are some detrimental uh, things in my life in terms of like addictions or in in terms of bad habits that are going to kill me? You know, we pray for healing. People need to go to the gym. You'll be surprised how much the Lord will heal you as 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 you just start putting things in order and in health. You just you, know? uh, you just experienced what going to the gym in a long. I know I can barely move long my arms. <laughs> that's, that's right. Right now I couldn't even button my buttons this morning. He walked. He walked <sighs> in. Walked in. Sat down at the the recording desk here and uh, earlier this morning. And as he sat down, you hear this. Oh, <laughs> and I'm it, like, what happened? It hurts. And he's like. Oh, that hurts so much. I'm like, what, sitting? Sitting down? I forgot I had a muscle right there. Oh, I hate getting started with healthy living. But but you still need to do it, Micah. That's true. You know, are you ever going to hit 170? Like, is there any plan for doing that? Hey, I just, uh, I took a leap and I, I, my wife wanted a treadmill for Christmas. She was like, get a treadmill. She, she ended up going to Facebook Marketplace and she bought this treadmill. Well, she... She was asking to buy a treadmill. She made an offer on a treadmill for 60 bucks. And I'm thinking to myself, I know what $60 treadmills are. They are broken. They're, they, be, they just collect dust. Nobody really uses them. So I'm like, honey, no, like, let's put something nice there. If you're gonna, so that we, we use it. I was like, I will spend the money so that we can have healthy like habits and use a treadmill. And, and so I go out and I'm like, okay, I'm going to, you know, for Christmas, I want to get her something nice. I'm looking at Pelotons. Okay. I'm like a Peloton treadmill. You know, then those are expensive. And I was like, oh, that's probably a little too pricey. I don't know if I can do that. So then I started looking at the Peloton bikes. They're, they're cheaper, a lot cheaper than mm-hmm. the treadmills. But I'm like, you know, there's, you can do exercises outside of the bike. You can, you know, spin the, the, the monitor around and, and have all these weights and mm-hmm. stuff. And so, uh, well, she comes back and, and tells me that she bought a treadmill. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And now, thankfully, she did buy it new, and it, it was, I think, like 200 bucks. So I was like, all right, that's not bad. But I'm like, $200, and she's been using it, but I still went ahead and got a Peloton bike, and we're going to try that. It should be shipped here in a few weeks, and I'm looking forward to getting on that bike, and I think next time you see me, Nathan... I'm going to be down to 170. I see you on Tuesday. <laughs> okay, wait, wait. <laughs> okay, so after you see me a few times, I'm going to be down to 170. I noticed once- that you've grown out a beard, and I was wondering, is that to try and hide a double chin? Like, what is no. the let me What's give you the, the story. Because you really did. When you lost about 10 pounds, you lost it out of your face. That's true. And, and so I just true. wonder, are you trying to hide until that other no. weight comes off? Let me tell you why the beard. Okay, so when I was in Israel, first of all, everybody in Israel has beards. And I was feeling left out. And then secondly, uh, they said, we're going to go to the Dead Sea and we're going to swim, you know, one of the days. And they said, but don't shave because it's so salty, yeah. it'll just burn, right? And I'm telling you, they were right. I mean, I I didn't shave my my cheeks, but I did I did shave my neck, and I felt it. It was like it was burning. Oh, yeah. And you, it's amazing when you're swimming in the Dead Sea. If you've ever done this before, you're floating. Really, you're, you do float. You can't really swim. It's just floating. It's so salty, but you feel every little like cut on your body. If you have like a paper cut or just oh, even yeah. a little like some cracked skin somewhere because of yeah. dryness, you will feel it. You'll be like, oh, I know exactly where all of the little cuts yeah. on my body are. But it was, I mean, 
it was phenomenal experience going to Israel. And, uh, but I will say that's when I was like, okay, I'll just let it grow. So I haven't, I haven't really shaved since, since the dead I, sea. I, I know. But, but see, you have, you have a, you don't have any patchy spots. See, I have a, I have one side that grows in nice and then one that I have a giant hole in my cheek. Well, so, there's no hope for me. I just had to shave just, it all. You just have to, no, you just have to go through puberty first. So, well, uh, you know, someday <laughs> I've, I've got that late onset puberty and I'm hoping hits at 46. There we go. So, so, there we uh, go. Now, so, I, do you, when you went to uh, the Dead Sea, when you left your shoes up at the shore, yeah, did you burn your feet all the way into the water? Because the day that I went, it, it was so hot. It, it was so painful to leave my shoes just to get into the water. It was unreal. Wait, wait is it just because it was hot? The sand was that hot. When, my, my feet couldn't take the sand. No, no, no. So we, when we were there, um, I it, and if you're tuning in for the first time here and uh, I got to go to Israel at the beginning of December with um, APAC and it was an amazing trip I, I could you know I just can't speak highly enough about it APAC does phenomenal work with uh, helping to strengthen Israel as an American ally and and uh, and so anyway when when we went though it was mid, it was beginning of December I would say the one of the hottest parts in the the nation of Israel is down in the southern part that you're getting close to the desert you're down by the Dead Sea area and that's usually the hottest part. But even on that day, I think it was only about 70, oh my 75 degrees. I was there in August. Yeah, so it was it was amazing. Or September or whatever it was, but all it was. So when hot. we were up in Jerusalem, up on the mountain, I mean, you're 60, it's about 60 degrees. It was mm-hmm. it was perfect weather. I mean, just, just you couldn't beat it. I mean, the whole trip, again, was awesome. But yeah, I didn't have that problem. It was uh, it was an amazing you know experience. Swimming in the Dead Sea was awesome. Now, that the Dead Sea is is receding a lot. I mean, they show you where it was a hundred years ago and it it's probably receded. I would say pro- uh, a good five football fields at least. Um, that has it, to do with what irrigation and taking it off. off no, the, it's, the uh, I think it's just evaporation. I think it's evaporation. I think it's, uh, it, I don't think it has anything to do with we're, I don't think they're pulling a ton of irrigation out of that, but I could be wrong, but I think it's just, um, you know, I think they'll say it's, it's all climate related and, mm. you know, like, so, but it, it'll be interesting. And there's, there's uh there are, there are some resorts that were built back in the sixties, fifties and sixties on the Dead Sea. And, and as they're too far away and, from the water. Well, now, <laughs> now they're, uh, they're, yeah, they're far away from the water. And when the salt, um, when the water recedes, the salt has, has basically uh, firmed up the foundation of the land. So when the salt uh, goes away when the salt water goes away the salt begins to uh, evaporate as well and it creates these huge sinkholes so some of these resorts you can't even they're 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 blocked off to the public because you can't even go there because there's sinkholes everywhere holy cow. so the whole it's like the it's like the whole the the land is just imploding around it so that's so it's kind of dangerous you know and there were people down in some areas where our guide was like, yeah, they shouldn't be there. They could fall into a sinkhole at any point. Like, and so, but it, it's, it was crazy. It was just an amazing trip. And, and the Dead Sea was, was right down there by Masada. So we got to go up to Masada and see that. I did that. not get to that go was to Masada. Amazing. I got to go to Engedi, but I didn't get to go yeah. to Masada. Tell me about Masada. Masada, it's, if you don't know what Masada is, it is, it was King Herod built one of his palaces on Masada. It's this huge cliff and it it's flat on top. It could probably house, um, I would say, you know, eight to 10 football fields, but Herod has his palace on one side of it overlooking this 
about a thousand foot drop down on all sides. And it was just this amazingly safe uh, palace fortress. And so when the Romans were destroying uh, Jerusalem, uh, many of the Jews that wanted to preserve the, the Jewish state, they, they end up running into Masada and they think, okay, no military army on the face of the earth could take Masada, not even the Romans. Because, and, and if you're there, you're like, I can see how they would think that. Like, it, it, they had natural springs that were actually, there was, there was reservoirs that the rainwater would collect. It's coming right up to them. So they had water. They grew their own food up there. So you didn't, ha- you didn't need anything. Everything they needed was they could get right there, and this and no military could could uh, in any way, shape, or form easily get their brigades up this mountain. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would they would just be sitting ducks as they're doing that. So it was it was phenomenal. Now the way the Romans did it was was incredible. They ended up building this. They just moved Earth and they just built another basically um, small mountain that turned into a ramp. And and they they essentially were able then to move their armies, but I I can't even that happening. The story goes that the people of Israel didn't even think, even though the ramp was built, they were still going to be able to penetrate the walls. And so it was really only by kind of a, a turn of events from a, a the wind kind of they they started trying to burn burn down the walls, but the walls are stone, and they were fortifying the walls with. Uh, with uh, wood from within Masada and the battering rams couldn't break through the wood and the, the stone, but then um, the, the wood caught fire because the wind shifted and the wood inside Masada began to burn, which then weakened the stone walls, which then allowed the, the Romans to break through with their battering rams. I mean, so if they wouldn't have, the wind wouldn't have shifted, I don't think the Romans would have been able to even get through that mm. that wall, mm. and so it, it was crazy. So every soldier in Israel is taken up there, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, and tell tell them that. So everybody in Israel has to fight. Uh, you have to learn how to fight. You have to go into the military military after you graduate high school, barring some exception like the the religious Orthodox, which would kind of be like their version of the Amish because of their religious practices. They don't they don't have to go into the military, but Almost everybody has to fight and and go in the military. So what they do, they take their 18 and 19-year-olds, they take them to Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Museum. They say, this is what our people had to go through to get Israel, right? This is the evil in the world that hates the Jewish people. And then they take them to Masada, and they say, hey, this is the heart of the warrior within within Israel. This is the heart. This is we we fight, and we don't back down from fights. This is how, this is what we believe in, and um, and so they see this, and and the the national pride, the patriotism that just exudes in everybody in Israel, all the Israelis. I mean, they are they are all bought bought in. I, they're just unified, and they're saying, listen, this is we need to we need to defend our nation, our homeland. We love it so much. We will we will we will die for it. And that's what happened with Masada. The Romans break through the the stone wall. They don't come in that same day. They actually, they actually go down, back down. They break, the, they break the wall down, and then they go back down to their camps and they regroup. And that night, the, there was a there was a four hundred. I think I think our guide said around four hundred. I could be wrong on that, but Jewish people up in Masada, and they basically said, "We can either fight the Romans tomorrow, and we'll obviously probably all die, and we'll probably die an excruciating death. Um, they might capture you know the women, rape the women." enslave the children, um, you know, torture the men, or we could die by our own swords tonight. Mm-hmm. And so they, 
they chose to die by their own swords that night and they all killed each other until there was one left and that person drew lots and that person ended up killing themselves and was the only one that committed suicide. But so when the Romans came up the next day thinking that they were going to meet some resistance, they go through the broken down wall and who's the last guy? Everyone's dead. Ah, I can't remember. They told us, but do you, do you know that one? Josephus. No. Was he really? Pretty sure. He was the, Josephus was the last guy? He gets the last guy and he goes, I'm not killing myself. No, 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 no. Are you, no, because someone killed themselves. There was, there was one suicide. There was was a bunch of people killing themselves. That was the plan. He gets the last person and he goes, yeah, I'm not killing myself. And, (laughs) and if I'm right about this, I'm pretty sure this is the story. Okay. And, and, And they're like, what in the world happened here? He tells them what happened. And then they allowed Josephus to write the history of the Jewish rebellion. Wow. And, and, and from that, we have the book of antiquities. A, a, lot yeah. of, a lot of, that's why, you know, Josephus is a Jewish general, but there's a lot of Jews that just can't stand Josephus yeah. because he didn't kill himself at the yeah. end. <laughs> and then he ended up writing the works and he writes works. If you, if you get to read uh, antiquities and, and, uh, and, you know, get the complete works of Josephus, um, he really kind of paints Rome in a very positive light. The old adage is, is that, uh, you know, if you, only the, the victors get to write history, right? Only, only yeah. the winners write history. Yeah. So whatever you hear, it's not really that way. But Josephus is an example of how that's not true, that he was the loser. And because he wrote so fairly, the Romans turned around and go, yeah, you're going to write this thing. Just tell the story. Mm. And uh, the other reason why so many Jewish people hate Josephus is because of what Josephus says about Jesus. And he makes a declaration about, you know, uh, there was a man named Jesus, if it'd be right to call him a man. And he says he's the Messiah, and and he talks about the beginning of the church. And so... It's an interesting story. Yeah, Yeah. I'll have to go back and check, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Wow. Well, I will say, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, uh, you take advantage of it. There's nothing like it. Walking where Jesus walked. And, um, and, and, you know, my trip was a lot more uh, in the vein of 1948 to now, which which is really cool from a political perspective, uh, what Israel has had to go through with the Six-Day War, Yom Kippur War, the First and Second Antifadas, like... Um, they have enemies everywhere, and so we met with government officials. We met with, uh, you know, both on the Palestinian and the Israeli side, and mm-hmm. and you know what, it'll be interesting to watch what happens. Mahmoud Abbas, the the president of the Palestinians, he's not doing well. He's not doing well. He's going to die here pretty soon. And Palestinians are more, they're more in favor from what I saw and heard on the ground. They're more in favor of Hamas taking over leadership of the Palestinian Authority right now. The PA is under is under Mahmoud Abbas's. Um, uh, control, but you know, he's corrupt. The Palestinian authority is corrupt, but they, they're the kind of the corrupt, you know, mafia bosses that at least work with the Israelis. They kind of understand mm-hmm. like, they don't like each other, but they get along at least halfway mm-hmm. decently. Hamas is not that way. Hamas right now, they govern the, the Gaza strip and the Gaza strip is where all the problems are happening within Israel right now. And that's because there's really no Israelis are allowed to go into the Gaza Strip. The IDF doesn't doesn't even go in there unless they have to. It's really just overrun with Hamas. Women and children are suffering in there. Everything is being used to make bombs and rockets, and they're launching these rockets uh, over the walls of the Gaza Strip into Israeli communities, and which killing, they put in schools. Which yeah, which yeah. they yep they make all these things in schools. They aim at civilians. They use civilians as shields. I mean, it's it's just wickedness, you know, at another level. But we got to see that firsthand. 
uh, on the northern border, the uh, uh, we were up in the Golan Heights, and uh, we were we got to go to the Lebanese border, and you had um, you had Hezbollah uh, outposts on the Lebanese border, um, being funded by Iran. Iran Iran, uh, Iran, and then um, and then we went to Syrian border, the Syrian border, and there was a there was a city that had uh, Syrian, Russian, Iranian, and Hezbollah troops all in this border, all in the city that was about a thousand you know yards away from. I know the, you can look the, over there and you're like, holy cow, there's that's some real, where it's all happening. There's some right there, real wicked people. Yeah. But you know, it 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 really it really. We say this, and, and I think we all know the Middle East is volatile, but it's a powder keg, and one little spark could set off a World War III conflict. Like, and and that could scare a lot of us. That could, you know, we could go in and say, "Oh my goodness!" Like, you know, just waiting for the inevitable to happen. But at the end of the day, praise God for being God, and for that we can have peace no matter what happens. And to your point, you know, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I know the one who holds tomorrow, you know, that's right. and that's, and, and I kind of, I kind of walked away thinking, you know what, I'm in Israel right now. There could be a terrorist attack that goes off right, you know, right by I think our I'll bus. go jogging through, <laughs> through the dangerous part of the city. It wasn't that dangerous. I think I'll do that. It was two, and I, there's two other guys. So myself, a uh, representative from uh, Pennsylvania. Hey, wait and a minute. Then, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then, you had... You had bodyguards, yeah, to make sure that you didn't get in danger. Yes, when you were out as a group. Well, that's because there were and, women on the trip, and too. you decided, forget the bodyguards. I want to go jogging, <laughs> and then you told the people, "Yeah, I I just decided to jog without the bodyguards, and uh, I just wanted you to know that." No, 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 no. So, so here's here's what. So let me, we, we wake up Monday morning, we're in East Jerusalem and we're like, oh, let's go, uh, let's go jog around the walls of the, the old city. Yeah. Cause that's a good idea. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and so myself, um, a guy from, uh, uh, Utah, uh, who's the, the president of the chamber of commerce out there. And then a state rep from Pennsylvania, we were, we were all like, yeah, well let's go run. So we got up early and we went and ran and ran, and ran the city and, and we were in certainly some like. Like you could tell, it was like Palestinian. Looked like something out of the movies where you see a you know a truck go flying through and it explodes and all that kind of stuff. It looked kind of like that, but it was really cool. I mean, you had the you had the ancient walls, the Ottoman walls that they had built, and we just ran around the the old ancient city. And it was you know you'd come into Israeli parts of the of the of of the community, and then you come into Palestinian parts of the community. And and I will say this: the Israelis tend to take better care of the land than the Palestinians do. You could kind of tell, I don't want to stereotype, but you could, you could tell when you went from an Israeli controlled kind of area to a Palestinian controlled area, it was very run down in the Palestinian areas. I mean, and I'm not just saying like, okay, they had they they were poorer. They just, there was trash everywhere. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of like if you if you really want the land, Palestinians. Cause I know there's a battle over the land. If you really want the land, start by taking care of what you do have. You know, like stop throwing trash everywhere. Stop just you know like like own it. You know, and 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 appreciate it. And you could kind of tell you come into an Israeli part of the of the community, and it was very clean. It was very you know well put together. It, it was it was just well kept. You know, mm-hmm. so. So we did that, and now we didn't know that at the same time that um, one of the guys on the trip, his name is uh, Representative Bo Baird. He's from Indiana. It represents a district in Indiana here, and he goes he goes out walking that morning. So we we left and we go running. He comes down to the front desk at the hotel, and he asked him. He's like, "Hey, is it safe to walk out here?" He just thinks that they're going to be like, "It's fine, just you know, stay around you know this area." 
And without missing a beat, the lady's like, oh, no, it's it's definitely not safe. And uh, he, and <laughs> so he's kind of like, oh, uh, okay. And so I asked Bo later, I was like, did you know that we had gone running? He's like, yeah. And I was like, well, at least good. At least, at least that was good. And I said, did you end up go walking? Did you go walking? And he's like, well, yeah. <laughs> and so he went out by himself <laughs> walking, even after the lady at the front desk said it wasn't safe. No, we didn't know it wasn't safe. And Do you know how close I live to Chicago? <laughs> this is nothing. <laughs> you know Al Capone? Well, I don't either, but, you know, he lived in Chicago. So anyway, it was a, it was a great trip, and I'm telling you, it was uh, what a blessing to go on it. And, and America, we, we certainly have an obligation to stand with Israel, and, and I, I believe, and I know some people don't see Israel as, as God's chosen people anymore, as the nation goes. They, they believe that that's the church. And, but I, I think there's a covenant, and I think there's still a, um, there's still a great uh, uh, place that the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, has in the heart of God. And I think as the church, as those who believe in Jesus, it is right to stand with with Israel. That doesn't mean that we agree with them from a governmental standpoint. Like some people think that uh, standing with Israel means just unfettered, just submission to whatever they say. He goes, no, 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 you can call them on there if they make mistakes. Israel's not perfect. They're, a lot of them, you know, I'd say most people in Israel don't even know Jesus. So obviously they're not going at it from a, a spiritually aligned perspective that we would say is, is the truth. Absolutely. But... I do think God's word when it says, "If you honor Israel, I'll bless you, and if you uh, if you curse Israel, I'll curse you." You know, yep. so you know. that was a word spoken to Abraham: "I will bless those who bless you; I will yep. curse those who curse you." Yep. And and uh, you know, I, I always want to be on the right side of Israel. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's not go ahead and do whatever you want to, but one of the things I I look at is when we're asking them to give up land, something bad happens in America. <laughs> Yeah, like there's some kind of tragedy that happens. Like, no, it's their land because God gave it to them. Yeah, and we shouldn't put any kind of policy in place that's going to give their land away. No way. It's there by theirs by divine right. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of people they don't believe the Bible at all. Well, okay, too bad. But truth is truth is truth. Exactly right. Truth is truth. And 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 uh, you know, unless God rescinds something. Then I say it's still out there. And, you know, those of us who believe in what's going to happen in the book of Revelation, there's 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe that are going to majorly go out to be the evangelists of the world. God still has a plan for Israel. Yeah. You know, I don't want to, I don't get in any way, shape, or form on the wrong side of that. Well, we, we saw firsthand when we were there how supernaturally protected Israel has been since 1948. If you if you just knew how outnumbered and outgunned and just the odds stacked against them, you know, and may the odds be forever in your favor was not something anyone ever <laughs> said on the Israeli side, right? right? It was like the odds are totally against us. Yeah. And yet they continue not only to survive, but to thrive. Mm-hmm. And Israel now is... When we were in Tel Aviv, there were more buildings and more cranes being built, like building buildings, epic skyscrapers all around the city that I've ever seen anywhere in the United States. I've never seen a city under that much construction. See, I would like to see that because I went to Dubai Mm -hmm. and they were absolutely everywhere. They had more money than they knew what to do with. Tel Aviv's the same way. I mean, it's, and, and to say that that's, 
that just coincidentally just happened is you have to be blind to say that that's the case. It it is a <clears throat> it's the hand of God restoring Israel like He said He would do. After I mean, there's prophetic words of Israel dying, being wiped, spread across uh, across the earth, and the Lord re- re- reforming, restoring their boundaries, their ancient borders. Uh, and it give, happens during our lifetime. That's amazing. Like we get to see it. It's amazing. So you talk about you know. What 2023 may hold. All yeah. I know is we are living an incredibly exciting time to live. Now, is it is it uh, maybe the easiest time to raise kids in the world? Maybe not. No. But nonetheless, it is exciting what God's doing. And I think 2023, keep your eyes open. Know that the Lord is, you know, just continuing to work his will and his way in the world, though we might not understand it, we're still believing for that. We want to see the Lord's kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in my opinion, smile, keep your head up. God chose for you to be born into this day and age. And, uh, you know, what was, what was said to, to Esther by Mordecai, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know, that God God wants to use you. So I guess that's my long answer to your question. Where would I go? God wants to use me. God wants to do something in my life and through my life, and my life should count for something. So I want to look for what God's doing. And I loved how you posed that too, because you said, what is God doing? I don't know what the United States is doing. It's got its head, you know, squarely between its legs or wherever, but 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 I, I know God's above it all. Mr. Lincoln. Let us pray that God is on our side. And he said, no, gentlemen, let's pray that we are on God's side. Yeah, amen. Right in the height of the Civil War. That was a group of pastors who said that to Abraham Lincoln, and he had the wisdom to say, no, it's not about God being on our side. It's about us finding where God is. That in a, guy in read the Bible a lot. He did. He did. Yeah, well, we are, we are a Christian nation. Whether people want to say we are or not, that's exactly what our founders knew to be true, was the God of the Bible and they built our structures so that they would firmly stand on the God of the Bible and on the principles of that Bible. And you have people saying, oh, no, no, they're a bunch of deists. Even the deists quoted Scripture more than even pastors quote Scripture in, in our day and age. <laughs> like, it's crazy, man. So, anyway. That's awesome. Yeah, well, hey, it's going to be a great 2023. We've got some great guests already lined up. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. Subscribe to Jesus, Sex, and Politics. Tell your friends about it. Tell your uh, liberal aunt uh, who doesn't want to hear the Make truth. Make her head explode. And, <laughs> that's not a very nice thing to say, Nathan. Explode with new thinking. <laughs> oh, okay, good. And on that note, <laughs> this has been Jesus, Sex, and Politics. I'm oh, Micah. And I'm Nathan. <laughs> and we talk about all the things that uh, culture doesn't want to talk about. That will scare you. We'll see you next time.